This is Daniel Fagella, Head of Research at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research. You're listening to the AI in Business podcast. We're non-technical professionals. Stay ahead of the AI curve. If you don't want to learn how to write Python, but you do want to spot high ROI AI opportunities and serve an important role in molding an effective AI strategy, well, you found yourself in the right place. Today, we're focusing on computer vision, particularly its possibilities in logistics and supply chain, and we've got some interesting use cases. If you live in the United States, you've probably seen advertising for a lot of these food and drink delivery services, many of which involve alcohol. As it turns out, it's a pretty big deal to deliver alcohol to people's door. We need to be able to verify people's age. We need to make sure we're not breaking the law or endangering any young people. And it turns out that scanning IDs is much more challenging than training somebody to look at the age number or the birthday number on the front of a card. There's a lot more complexity than that, and we get into it in this episode, and AI might serve a role in that particular workflow or function. And secondly, we talk about unloading trucks. When a truck shows up at a warehouse with dozens and dozens of boxes, there is a way to walk up to each box and scan the ID code individually. There is also a way to be able to potentially leverage a single image and drink in all of the boxes and all of their contents at once to understand what needs to go where and to be able to move more quickly at those juncture points in the supply chain. The use cases themselves are quite different. The commonality is computer vision. We speak today with Christian Florkermeyer, who is the CTO and co-founder of Scandit. Scandit has raised nearly $300 million to address smart data capture. They have hundreds of employees and logistics and supply chain is one of the spaces where they operate. Christian goes into detail on how these two use cases work in terms of where the computer vision is being leveraged and how the data is stored, as well as the realities of adoption. If we need to have people use a certain computer vision application to scan IDs, how do we get them to use it? If we need people to unload trucks in a certain way, it's not just about scanning what's in those trucks. It's about potentially slightly altering the way that we stack our boxes, the way that we load and unload from those vehicles. So hopefully, no matter what industry you're in, you'll get some eye-opening use cases and also some good ideas around what it takes to get these applications to stick in real workflows. This episode is brought to you by Scandit. Without further ado, let's fly into this episode. This is Christian with Scandit here on the AI in Business podcast. So Christian, welcome back on the program. Yeah, great to be here. We're flying into an entirely different industry from our last conversation. We're talking about transportation and logistics, a sector that certainly was shaken up by COVID, but there's a lot of other factors sort of at play in terms of what's making these folks think about new technologies and change the status quo of how they're operating. I wanted to kick off as we did last time about what you see as sort of the major trends that are driving new technology adoption in this sector and transportation and logistics broadly. What are those big ones that are affecting the C-suite? I think, you know, increasing capacity to match demand is, 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 is still a very ongoing topic, right? Is is unit recently in a survey of logistics organizations and, you know, I think about 42% of them, you know, saw that their biggest, you know, challenge on the last mile delivery side is still increasing capacity to match demand, right? And, and you know, to, to do this, you know, whether it's technology, whether it's, you know, technology ways of doing this, attracting drivers, all of these things are, you know, key key ways of, of handling this. Other ones that we're seeing is customer service and cost efficiency, right? So on the one hand, you know, customer expectations never go down. They, they, in that sense, you know, faster delivery times and fewer delivery failures is key for express companies, especially as they, these are the kind of key performance indicators that they're being measured on by their customers, business customers. And then on the other end, 
right now, you know, we, we, we sort of entering a, a different stage with inflation, with a slowdown in the economy and efficiency becoming a, a big topic, right? And, and how can you how can you keep your margins with fuel prices going up, wages going up, retailers being pressured to optimize their margins and that creating margin pressures on the on the on the express company. So and on the one hand, increasing customer service even more. On the other hand, you know, being as efficient as possible. Yeah. In some way, kind of countervailing forces, because we want to absolutely maximize every element of customer experience, there's certainly costs associated with that. No, exactly. Right? And I think you can start looking at it. If you're an express company today, is what well, the express companies that we're working with are telling us is in the sense is, is that they need to go and offer different delivery mechanisms, which to be competitive in the market. But these different delivery mechanisms, right, where this is pickup in store at a drop-up location, delivery to home, they have different costs associated with them, right? You know, when you look at drop efficiency, when they look at, they need to go and offer them, but they're very different price points and cost points associated with them. And, and how do you optimize that mix that on the one end you arrive at a maximum customer service and the other time, you know, best cost efficiency is, is really a big challenge for, for, for today's last mile companies. Got it. And, you know, the, I know we've, we've talked a bit off microphone about some of the concerns regarding the other considerations that even might cross into regulatory, like age restricted goods. You know, we have more and more, certainly here in America, we're always bombarded now with companies that'll deliver alcohol to your door or what have you. I don't know when exactly this started, but by golly, is it more popular? And this will sort of lead us into our first use case, because from what I understand, there's a whole set of considerations and challenges just around those products. Yes, absolutely. Right. I mean, what we're seeing is in, in touching upon the trend that you mentioned, maybe just quickly before we get to the use case, is alcohol delivery is a big part of the business. If you deliver groceries as part of your service for a retailer, you know, alcohol delivery is part of your mix. But the challenge is that you need to go and meet the age restrictions and age laws in the different states. And it's 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 an important part of doing that business. And you know, on the one hand is is people always talk about fines and that can be imposed. But the real challenge is not is actually from our understanding is actually not the fines from a from a monetary perspective. The real challenge is losing your license, your alcohol delivery license or your license yeah. to sell alcohol, right? That's that's a that's that's a real concern because that's really where the bucks starts getting getting very significant, right? So we see yeah. a lot of we're seeing a lot of legal departments and compliance departments being really concerned about this. And when you now take this down to sort of the next level at the use case side is, you know, as we're seeing, we, we talked earlier about increasing capacity to match demand. How is this being done today? You know, we all talk, you know, we saw a gig economy playing such a big role in this. But one of the things, one of the challenges in the gig economy is that, you know, teaching or, and doing a lot of training is just not reality, right? Like if, if you remember some of the numbers in, in, in COVID times, right, I, I think I don't remember the exact numbers, but, you know, some of the press releases from, from some of the, you know, Instacart and a lot of companies was that they, they brought on, you know, 200, 300,000 shoppers that actually did delivery and that did check alcohol licenses, alcohol licenses within eight months. So running a, a detailed training and certification pro program gets very difficult, not to say impossible, if you're dealing with 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 this setting and technology plays a big role in, in solving these problems. Yeah, I guess 
you know, to your point, gig economy, you don't have exactly the same buy-in. It's not like everybody's going to show up at 9 a.m. and go through some robust training with you or they're ob- even obligated to do so. They're just going to get the prompts. They're going to do some stuff. They're going to aim to get paid on the side and then and then they're out of here. What are you seeing as sort of maybe the way around that training barrier? Where does technology fit in to make sure we're not going to lose our license, to make sure that we're as compliant as we can be and, and kind of bridge that gap? Frankly, the the chink in the armor of the gig economy around training. How, how is that being filled in some regard by tech? So what we're just saying is that that you know when you look at the typical Jack White would be like you know say I'm a delivery driver or I deliver alcohol. I would go and ask someone you know develop, de- deliver food or you know some grocery shopping. I would you know what I, I would be asked go and go show me your ID, check the ID, and then somewhere in the app I say like yep that person was above a certain age, right? If I'm the delivery driver, and again coming, you know, coming back to that 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 human nature, that's quite a difficult thing to do, right? Like, like in that sense, to go and check, put that in. It's 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 all too easy to go and say like, well, you know, hey, like that person looks older. Yep, fine. I'm not actually not even asked for the ID, right? What 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 we're seeing in, in the market is that make technology do it, right? In that sense, you cannot deliver, you cannot deliver, you cannot complete that transaction unless. The camera and the, the mobile device actually sees an ID, verifies that the age, whether either you know being the barcode encoded date of birth and on the back of a driving license or actually the front of the driving license, you know, check that ID. There's technology actually doing the check. And only, only if intelligence or the AI managed to interpret that license, said that person is older than 21, be it be, be in a position to complete that delivery, right? In that sense, that that takes it away from the from the from the driver. So the driver needs to worry about these things, but technology is checking this, and it's also avoids in that sense the training element because now you no longer need to go and train anyone to go and do that process properly because technology is taking care of that. And but it all comes down to, and that's that's on the flip side, to do implement this, you need a system that is highly accurate and that works in the real world, right? Like like it, it's one thing to to make this work for. You know, 60, 70% of all licenses out there. It's a whole different game if you want to make it mandatory, right? And, and there isn't any, you know, any, or only under very exceptional circumstances would you allow someone to bypass it, right? And you actually can detect that those conditions are in place, right? And, and, and I think this is where sort of the, the quality of the AI solution really plays a really big role in this is that it's, it's so robust and so reliable that you can actually, in that sense, automate that process or that, that small, component of that process that you can automate it and and that's where the ai solution comes in right so if, if the barcode on the back of the driving license damage you read the front of the card if the, the front of the card with all the holograms you can still read this reliably that's really what you know the sophistication of the ai solution comes into yeah and it sounds like i mean tell me if i'm wrong here but i'm imagining what the challenges are for this kind of a solution if i'm if i'm hearing you correctly my job as delivery person is to scan the ID, wait for a green check mark before I give you the thing, right? That's that's my job. So the challenge, as far as I can tell, is that, you know, let's just say we're talking about the United States. I'm sure in Europe, it's exactly the same, just with different sorts of nuances. You know, there's different kinds of licenses in different states, for example. Some licenses issued before 2017 were in this format. The ones after 2017 were in this format. Some of them have this special number on the front. Some of them actually in this state, it's always printed on the back. So you need both sides or some of them are more worn down. So certain things might not be as visible. The lighting's not going to be great, right? I'm delivering something in the middle of the night. I'm delivering something in the middle of the day. So it seems as though if we're going to be working within a state, 
we essentially need to know all permutations of driver's license printed in that state, you know, before this date, after this date, what all the formats are. And we have, we need to have enough training data of ones that have been, you know, that are brand new, ones in good light, ones in bad light, ones that have been worn down in the wallet for five years and they look like absolute junk. We need a whole plethora of this to make Georgia alcohol deliveries work or Rhode Island alcohol deliveries work. Is this part of the challenge? I'm imagining mentally sort of what it would take Absolutely. for you, computer you're vision. On, right? And, and you got to yeah. keep in mind is if, if you operate in Georgia, you cannot just work, you know, if, if your solution only works with Georgian driving licenses, that's not good enough because, you know, no. there are a lot of folks there that, that will, they will have a military ID, they will have a passport. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, you know they, they, they might have, I don't know, a European passport, right? So end of the day, and then all the challenges that you mentioned, right? Like, like, like when you look at the, so in the one sense, you could go and look at this and saying like, well, it's standardized. Well, that's half the story, right? We see, we see, you know, customers in that sense saying like, well, it's standardized. Well, that's where it starts. Well, there's, you know, it's X different version of the standard, right? So that's already the first part. And, and, and the next part of this is, well, okay, there's X different versions of the standard. And then there's, how do I put this politically correct? There's, you know, a whole variety of different ways of implementing that standard. Some of this, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe slightly not conforming with the standard, but those IDs are out there and these IDs are being used by, by folks, right? So, so you need to go and support all of them. You know, we, we I think, I think, you know, when I asked some of our product managers, I think we, we, there's about 160 different versions of how IDs are actually, ID data is actually encoded. And, and, and this is not documented, right? It's, it's either the nine official ones are documented, the other 151 aren't. So, so you only see this when you're out in the field to actually capture this. And but the delivery driver and the user doesn't care, right? So if they're there, you can't go and say, like, oh, there's all different versions. I'm not, you know, that's the reason why you can't scan that license right now. That's 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 you really do good for them. You do they don't care that there's all these different versions, right? No. Right? And and they don't care about low lighting in that sense. So you just need to go and you know, technology just needs to deliver a solution that actually works in these conditions. And but you can get this done. I think, you know, maybe a couple of years ago this would have been difficult, but when you look at Today's capabilities, when you look at the phones that are available today, when you look at the computing power that's available in the phones, but you also look at the, you know, the sophistication in, you know, how AI and, and machine learning sort of moved on, that's around as well. So I think that has really improved and, and you, you're seeing this, you're seeing the, the leaders in that space, they're all doing this today, right? Like in the gig economy, it's, it's, it's. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So, so there's some challenges with the training of these systems. And obviously there needs to be some pretty serious investments gone into passports and different kinds of IDs. And like you said, military IDs, all kinds of crazy things to be able to centralize this. But once we have it, we do want a situation where basically the technology is responsible. The, the human doesn't have to know how to analyze a Navy base ID because that's just not the job of a gig economy delivery person at all. That's not something that they can do. So, okay, totally makes sense. One thing to add as we're talking about this, right? It, it, yeah. It's a where that's the other point to go and add is it's important that you do it on the device, right? And, and that's that's from an overall perspective, right? You know, these are these are ID documents. That's from a privacy perspective. It's a very important aspect that the customer feels like, you know, hey, my data are not ending up somewhere in the cloud. So it's super important that in that sense, this is something that is, you know, it's only being analyzed at the touch of the moment right there. And you're not sending images of these IDs up into a cloud where they get analyzed, where they maybe get lost, right? But it, it's really something that just happens in that local transaction and afterwards. And you just get, as you said, that tick mark, yep, all good. And then all the data yeah. gets forgotten about, right? So it, it's important from an overall privacy perspective, not only for the user, but also, you know, for the companies operating the systems. Well, I guess that's kind of interesting. You know, I know we have one more use case to cover, but you're, you're bringing that up here. You know, 
I'm imagining I'm one of these delivery companies and I get taken to court because somebody ordered alcohol and they're too young. And I could say, hey, wait a second, wait a second. I had a green check mark for that delivery. Let me show you. Oh, wait, I actually don't have that image stored because of privacy reasons. Like that actually seems somewhat unrealistic. If somebody's going to take away my liquor license, I'm going to lose, you know, tens of millions of dollars. I'm probably going to want to make sure I can tell you, no, this person, here's their ID. Here's the thumbs up. End of story. Don't take my stuff away. Right. I, I want that for security as a company. Yeah. How are we working? How are we working between those? At the same time, as a consumer, maybe I'm nervous that people are going to have a picture of my ID floating around on the Internet. What, what's the middle ground there? Because it actually does seem like records are quite important here. Yeah, I think honestly, this is this is I think you know on the privacy law side, we've come a long way, right? Where you look at GDPR, where you look at the California license, right? It's it's driven, you know, what, what goes back to I think what we call it the fair information practices, right? First of all, there's a purpose. If you do collect you know data, as 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 the person you were informed about it, so and there's a very specific purpose for it. There's a time limit on it, right? So it's very different in that sense, right? And I think there is that that great. No, I wouldn't say gray area because that, that sounds in some way it's not well defined, but there's that area of, of a middle ground, right? Where you're saying if a certain state asks you to keep those records, of course, you are in a position to go and keep them, but you're not going to keep them indefinitely. And if, if someone asks us, are you keeping a record of my idea? You know, that person has the right to know whether there's a record of yours and can request deletion of it, right? So privacy laws go a long way of actually providing these guarantees on the one hand to the users. But on the other other end, also for the business to empower, you know, to empower them to to keep certain records. For us as a technology provider, we try to stay out of this in that sense, right? Of saying like, look, yeah, I, I would we, if I was in your shoes. We, yeah, we, we provide you with the capability to check this at that point. If you as a business have legitimate reasons to go and keep more details about that you did that check, we provide you with the data. But that's in your hands, right? We 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 don't want to get involved in this. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't in, in your position. So yeah, interesting. It sounds like, you know, there's nimble and varied situations depending on, it sounds like the regulatory environment, the requirements of the company, legalities involved, whatever else. So uh, worth worth noting, because I could see countervailing pressures there for sure in terms of the, the different motives to keep or not keep data in that regard. And I know that there's, there's another use case we want to talk about, about other kinds of data intake. Licenses is one part of the puzzle, but there's more here. Can you walk us through the second use case that you had in mind that'll make this even more tangible? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it made me it just maybe going back to look increasing capacity, match yes. demand, right? That that's one of the trends we've seen. It is is going back to cost efficiency, doing things faster, more more customer service. One of the things that we, we we sort of looked at this is the way we've been using technology for for registering what gets loaded into a van to go and find things in the back of the van really hasn't changed in. I'd say 20, 30 years, right? You, you, you take a barcode, there's a barcode on the package, you take your, your scan gun or scanning device out, you, you scan the item, and it's one barcode at a time. And that's how you operate. If you operate and you want to go and add like route information, then you put little stickers on the packages and, and it says like, oh, that's, that's first on your route. And, and you, know, you put another sticker on them and that's second on your route. Or someone needs to go and put them on them. On, on, the, on the packages and if you need to go and change dynamically your route because there's an accident or something else you know needs to be a little different way well you're going to go and change your stickers right so end of the day that's that's very very it doesn't give you a lot of flexibility that's how things have been done i think for the next last 10 20 years in that sense right one barcode at a time scanning if you want to add routing information there's somehow you know, like like pretty fixed and technology has come a long way right you can you know you just smartphones 
have very sophisticated cameras in them. They have a lot of computing power. So we seeing that sort of notion of, of just scanning one bug at a time as being in some way a little bit of a, a thing of the past. That's has been table stakes for the last 20 years. And, and this idea of you receiving a shipment now as a driver, and you're, you're pulling into your, your, your depot, there's 20, 30 packages that you need to go and deliver. And today you grab each one of them, scan them, put them in your van. Why not line them up, take, in that sense, one scan of them, and it re recognizes multiple barcodes at the same time, and then you move them in, right? So this notion, we call it a matrix scan, of moving away from the one barcode at a time where all the challenges is in your head, where you need to make sure you get everything to a way of leveraging the camera to scan multiple barcodes, and then superimposing virtual information about route information into that, rather than having little labels on them that are telling you that's third on your list, it's fourth on your list, doing that with augmented reality. Yeah, so I'm imagining, again, I, my job is always, and it's challenging sometimes, but it's it's one of the fun parts of podcast, is painting a visual image in the mind of the listener. So I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of what you just described. I'm going to try to say how I think this would look for me as a user, and I want you to correct me. So instead of, yeah, onesie twosie going around to these different packages, I scan this, okay, that one's going there, okay, that's it, that's number one on my list. Scan this, okay, that one's going there, that's here. And then I've got this little collection of little tabs from all the things I've scanned, and I can go back and scroll through them and see what they're doing. Or I can take a broader picture that'll drink in all the different scannable codes, and on that image would be this one has this content, it's going to this place, it was shipped out on this date. This one's going here. So right in the image, I'm seeing kind of a square of that box with information inside of it, with information inside of it. Is this what we mean by augmented reality? Absolutely, right? So this idea that, you, that you're on the one hand, when you think about when you arrive at the depot and you receive 30, you know, 30 40, 50 packages, there's two things that are important, right? I mean, you look for metrics. Specific. One is you need to get out of that depot as quickly as possible because not because necessarily of your time, but there's a lot of other people and this depot operations is a bottleneck, right? So you need to go in, in and out as quickly as possible from a last mile operational perspective because there's only so many slots available in the morning when people pick up packages. So making that process quickly as possible is one, one sort of key metric. The second one is, is as, a, as a last mile operator, you're really key that everyone confirms with that scan that they took ownership of these packages so that when afterwards a package is missing or didn't get delivered, you can trace that back and go and say like, well, you know, you're, you're delivery driver, you pick up that package, I have that scan right here. So I know you picked it up, so what happened, right? So you have accountability about that, that ownership transfer happened you know, from the package that was assigned to a driver that actually ended up in, in the van. And then you as a driver, you want instructions around, is that package now, is that early in the route? Is that late in the round so you can you can stack it appropriately in the van or in the car. You're not putting the, the, the items that you know, are very early on your route all the way down your truck, and then you've got to unload all the different packages to go and get to them. So you get that information, right? So it's different, different intentions and, and sort of and objectives aligned, right? Ownership transfer, routing, and in and out in that depot as quickly as possible. And, and that augmented reality technology that, that you, I think very accurately described, right? Helps to make that process faster and helps to support these different objectives that I just mentioned. Yeah, one kind of closing note on this, so it's great to be able to get this visual and to understand sort of how it would play into 
the workflows at hand. Many of us have not worked at a depot at any point in our lives who are listening in on the show, but but to know how they operate and the complexity of what loading and unloading looks like is helpful to see, okay, where would this fit in and why would this be adopted? A little bit of a question just to paint a, a more complete picture in the mind of our listeners as we wrap up is around what this looks like in practice. Obviously, you guys are you know rolling this out with a number of clients here. When we've seen different computer vision technologies rolled out, sometimes it has involved a bit of a change to the environment or how we do things so that they're more visually accessible because we weren't depending on vision before. So, you know, you and I talked in another episode about, you know, checking inventory levels in the retail store. Some retail stores or warehouses are even working on potentially changing the height of certain shelves so that the robot, it's a more uniform environment for a machine to get that job done. In this case, I'm wondering, maybe before we didn't have to worry too much about where the barcode was exactly on the package, turn it, find it, scan it, you figure out your information. If we're doing this matrix scan idea here and we want to drink in 7, 10, as many of them as we can, we might want to stack the vehicle in a way so that barcodes are all facing a certain way, maybe stacked in a certain order, and that might slightly change the way loading happens so that scanning and unloading can be more efficient. Are there workflow tweaks that make this really come to life and be possible? Absolutely, right? I mean, there's there's, well, today, there's incentive to make labels face you because otherwise you don't know what the package is, right? Like even today, right? Like if, if you decide to put the box into your vehicle and the label is not visible, then you have a hard time actually finding the package, you know, even if you're not doing a backward scan, yep. you actually know where yep. to deliver it. So, so I think there's already incentives in place to do that today. That's good. You're absolutely right. Like, 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 and I think this is, this also comes, you know, to, to be transparent, right? That's one of the limitations, right? If, if you can't see the label and you can't see the backcode, then these things don't work, right? So they in that sense, is, and if they're not in the same plane, then they don't work either. So what we're seeing there is that, and that sort of comes back to typically, you know, I think, you know, how to adopt technology too, right? You, you can't go out there and go and say, that's the way we're going to be doing this from now on. And so the old way of doing it is it's just bad and we don't offer it. That never works, right? So, so the way we're seeing these technologies is give the user a choice. Give the user a choice. You can, you can just keep doing, you know, the single scan, you know, Single backward scanning, you know, if you pick the right kind of technology, works just as well on a smartphone and very reliably. And if you want to do keep doing single scanning, let the user keep doing single scanning, right? For the folks that, as you mentioned earlier, feel like, uh, you know, I actually, I spend a little effort on how I line things up, but then, or actually I get a real return on it because I, I by lining things up properly, I can actually make that confirmation process that I just brought in 30, 40 packages much, much more convenient. I actually see the routing. It's important in those moments from, from an adoption perspective, not to make too many assumptions about like what everyone wants to do, but to give users choice, right? If they want to keep running the process the kind of way they've done this, it's important that that feature is still there. And then for the folks who, who, who are interested in, in, in moving to a slightly different workflow, they hopefully will consider more more efficient leveraging you know technology building blocks offer that as well it's it's usually not a good choice to to go and say like from day day now everything's being done different because that really leads to you know we all as humans we you know change is difficult right so change it, is hard change is hard and 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 you really be very very mindful as we deploying technology of that Really good point. I think whether you're the seller or adopter of AI to be reminded, and, and we've been reminded so many times in, in the podcast over the years, Christian, of just how minimizing workflow change, just how important that is to adoption, really minimizing. If Hey, if you want to do it the way you were used to, you're looking at the same stuff, you're doing basically the same stuff, that's fine, but here's some new capability for you. So what you're saying is 
Sure, some people might, you know, organize things to be on the right plane so they can be faster. Even if they don't, they can use the technology in a more limited way, and that's fine. And it sounds like that's been an important a- adoption tip for you guys. No, absolutely. No, you know, honestly, this, this this just comes back to like like we as humans, right? We want to be in control in these moments, right? You know, yeah. And 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 we always think like the companies that we've worked with that are more successful really are very mindful of this. Is where they're saying, look, like well, as an employee, I can make a lot of decisions myself, and give people choice, and not force them to do something in a new workflow. Typically, doesn't work that well. But much more of saying, hey, giving them options and providing the right kind of tools, and then you know, provide that that level of call it autonomy and to the individual worker to, to know what works, works best for them and have them choose, you know, out of out of tool set of options rather than dictate a certain way of whether it's now with AI or without AI. That's the yeah. successful companies we work with really sort of, you know, follow that sort of guidance in some way and, and, and really do that really, really well. Well, the successful vendors that we talk to have all learned very firm lessons about how you think and how you hope people will use technology versus what it looks like in reality. And so you're addressing that right here and now from, I take it, some hard-won experience, and I think it's valuable for our listeners to hear it. So, Christian, I know that's all we have for time on this episode, but thank you so much for being able to join us again on the program. Great conversation. Thank you so much, Dan. That is all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one. I certainly like the alcohol delivery use case. Very, very unique. And for some reason, I am getting bombarded with advertisements for this kind of thing. I, I, I really, I might have one glass of wine a week and I'm just getting pounded in every single advertising medium for these these delivery services. Lots of legal concerns, certainly a very competitive space, and definitely a use case we've not covered in the past. If you have ideas for other fun or interesting use cases, feel free to message me on LinkedIn or reply to our newsletter. If you are not already subscribed, getting not only all of our latest interviews, but all of our latest articles, use cases, and more, you can go to emerj.com slash n1. N is in newsletter, and then the number one, emerj.com slash n1, and you can sign up for our newsletter there. Again, I thought this was kind of a fun one, kind of a unique one. If you have other ideas, always feel free to suggest them. We get some awesome ideas from our listeners and subscribers. It is advice from folks like you that have helped to build our editorial inventory and the topics that we've structured and sprinkled out throughout the year. So I have you all to thank in part for that. And hopefully you found this one interesting. But that's all for this episode again. So I'll catch you on the next one here on the AI and Business Podcast.